Hello and welcome to the Foxy Digitalis podcast for October 13th, 2023. I'm Brad Rose, of course. How's everybody doing? I hope it has been a good week. It has been it's been a pretty good week here. I kind of kind of took things a little bit easy this week because last weekend was there was a lot going on in Tulsa. A lot of amazing stuff. Um I would run down all of it, but just shout out to the Tulsa Artist Fellowship and to um, I don't know, all the people in Tulsa doing cool stuff that did a bunch of cool stuff all on a weekend. The sort of culmination of the weekend for, for me was, so I, uh, Foxy Digitalis partnered with Tulsa Artist Fellowship to put on a performance at a place uh, called, called The Gathering Place. It's a ridiculous, um, huge, amazing public park in Tulsa. They have this sound maze or sensory garden is what they call it, but it's this hedge maze that has all these different instruments that are sort of like installations in it and you can play them and you know and then there's some other sound devices there's these tubes or pipes that they come out of the ground in four different places and you know if you speak into one you can hear it in all the other ones it's anyway um my kid and i did we performed a piece that i wrote called a duet for metal and wood and it was unbelievable like i never that was her first performance we'd obviously never performed together um i yeah i just can't get over how amazing it all was and there's a video of it up on patreon if that is something you might be interested in and you know there's lots of other cool stuff on patreon i'm just saying um, so yeah i don't know i could go into more of it and, and i should also mention standing the maze warren real writer performed with his son lane real writer uh warren is in my mind the I like one of the best the best I don't know like sound artist experimental musician in Oklahoma right now just doing some of those incredible work and he's actually moving up to Tulsa beginning of next year and I am so excited for that um and then the Tulsa People's Orchestra also performed their their clarinet choir performed so it was awesome I felt really privileged and excited that I was able to put that together with Tulsa Artist Fellowship and it all Went off without a hitch, pretty much. And when does that ever happen? Um, okay, so that's what's, you know, been going on here. Um, the album of the day, I'm not going to, it's going to be quick because I got, we got a Hasu Mountain sort of label spotlight thing that ended up being a little different than I thought it was going to be, but it actually ended up being better. So let me first talk real quick about the album of the week. Did I say day earlier? I might have. The album of the week, which is Natalie Day's blooming as in the sun. such a lovely kind of warming album um i'm not entirely sure how i stumbled on it i'm guessing clicking around somewhere on Bandcamp, but also it was produced by brianna morela so maybe that's it again not 100 sure um but regardless blooming 
as in the sun, kind of the best, <laughs> the, the thing that keeps coming to mind when I think about it is it's like this gentle triumph. It's because it's so like, and this is going to sound, this is going to sound like it's inobtrusive, but in a re, in a special way and not in a like background music kind of way in a, here are all these things and here's this world and it is here when you're ready for it. There's kind of, there's notions of, of whimsy and sort of wistful reflection. Um, I love the instrumentation. So there's like these lilting electronics and effervescent billowing flutes and woodwinds and stuff. And then, and then Natalie Day's voice and, and her voice is a beacon. There's this great mix of, lightness and seriousness uh one of the standout tracks maybe like my favorite track on the record is funny angels and it's this kind of it's kind of perfect frankly it's got these sort of childlike sense patterns and then her lovely like whispered vocals it 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 doesn't feel like this fleeting passing thing it feels i don't know like there's there's real gravity to this music and it's it's beautifully composed with like intricate layering and this sort of emotive grace. And it's, it's just so welcoming and wonderful. And everything about this just makes me feel at ease. Every song on here and each one is the, like its own individual part of this wider world. And, and we're just, like I said, it's there for us when we are ready for it. And, and we're just invited into this world that she's created ready to find our place in it and where we fit in and we just feel like accepted and wanted and i just love it so so much i go to the psychic and she tells me okay let me get to the now let's get to the meat of this week's episode. So I talked to Max and Doug of House of Mountain a couple weeks ago. And so this is the interview part. It's going to come in on, uh, it's a little bit awkward on the edit, but I can explain why. Because, so we recorded two different things that day. I also talked to them about another thing that will be a different thing that will be happening on this podcast in the coming weeks. And then we kind of transitioned into talking about the label and it all ended up being kind of one conversation. So it's not, there wasn't like a clean cut. And where the edit starts, because it got, and it got really meta and, but it was really good. And it was, like I said, it wasn't what I was planning, but it ended up better. And so, uh, as we come in, Doug is, we're, we, you're going to hear Doug first instead of me, because this is my intro. So I was talking about running Digitalis back in the day and just how, um, there were just a lot of things that I think that were on the label that were by people who were maybe known for one thing, but they did something totally different. And I was really excited to put it out. And I think it, and it sort of caught people off guard. People were just like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I don't have, I don't know how to process this. So I'm going to just wait for the next thing, which is totally jit and totally cool. But that's kind of what we were talking about as the, the interview here starts. And you'll hear Doug after this quick little musical interlude from Dustin Wong. Thank you. 
every label that like twists and like puts out you know that follows their heart and like you know uh it, it there's always gonna be that thing because it's like you know you develop this like core fanship and then like you're relying on these people the support network and like sometimes they're just like uh i don't know about that i already bought I already bought here like uh, i can skip this one like this is yeah. yeah and i would say that a lot of the times the impulses of label versus listener are like decided by different factors like as as people that run a label you think about your friendships and you want to honor your artists that are your buds that like you know you admire and like you've worked with before so it's up to them to provide something for the label and for the listeners that's out of your control you know and like oftentimes i think that it's it's a better policy to embrace those moments than it is to say we're not putting that one out you know what i mean like oh like actually we're skipping this you know because i think that it makes artist catalogs richer if those that stuff is allowed to happen and i think that it's more about honoring your homies like and like doing doing what they want of course there are maybe a couple moments where you're like this one actually is not quite there or something but th- those those are far more rare than just being like oh oh this is yeah. this is cool you made this like word you know like yeah no i yeah i totally agree with that and i and that's one of you know and i always am excited when you know i think like an artist or a label and they something comes out and it you're just like whoa what the you know like that catches you off guard and you know maybe goes in a different direction or whatever and it's just that's exciting and like you said i think it makes just the catalog of the discography so much more interesting and richer um i'm curious so i mean so you guys have been doing this for over a decade now how this is like a bit of a loaded question but how have things changed like for the better and for the worse yeah go ahead I mean, like when we started, it was during this very rich blog era where there were like thousands of websites and, um, you know, every newspaper had a music section. There were tons more alt weeklies and it was a very, um, you know, vibrant um ecosystem that was promoting the sort of like uh emerging ambient experimental scene this is like directly in the same time as like opn returnal and emeralds um and it was a very like big moment but it was a very um broad moment and we were able to you know um make a pretty big act called um pretty quickly and um over time you know i remember we were seeing like the beginning of like oh my god like the there's j card artwork on pitchfork reviews like this is like crazy and like you know the tape became like totally normalized a few years after we started working on them and then it's like you know guardians of the galaxy soundtracks and like rick and morty soundtracks like on tape and like then you know a lot of people that were our peers 
um, that kept on doing it were uh, for a while able to be like taken as seriously by a lot of these publications as like um, major releases. Um, and then I don't, I mean, I'm trying to like, it's how do I like summarize like 10 years? Like, then I remember there was the big, like, oh my God, like they're not going to be able to make tapes anymore. And there was like a big, you know, a uh, couple of years where there was like a physical media shortage and like problems to actually like do the things. And then now there's like a huge much better super fast manufacturing infrastructure which i never would have predicted would have come out of that um and then i don't know for us the pandemic was kind of like our biggest moment i feel like during the pandemic there were more people tuned in to bandcamp world and twitch world and trying to show their support um to the things they love in like the hugest way that they can um uh, I feel like I'm just rambling now. Now we're just, we're here. I feel like um, the last couple of years have been very much marked with, by us, like working um, exclusively with roster artists, um, pretty much working with, on albums with people, um, often like our fourth, fifth, sixth album with these people that we've been working with for so many years. Um, and i don't really know what to add i think that in these 10 years the cassette has been back maybe five separate times <laughs> you know, that, yeah once every six months the cassette comes back and now we're lucky enough to have a, a society where the cd is coming back as well which is fun it's been it's been back and then and then it left and then it came back you know so so formats are you know thriving and being resurrected like by the moment you know um i think that doug is right in that there was definitely maybe a more exciting and fragmented axis of blogs and you know smaller publications mm -hmm. that were more kind of specialized and like blog spot, like roles that like would post shit that, yeah. that thousands of people would listen to all that stuff was kind of like responding to maybe a need that, that was, that existed in a world that was still pretty streaming for the most part, you know? And so it's like, right. it's like that, that was an important angle for people to, that, that people would get on their laptops and go straight to like mutant sounds or whatever on my check. So it's like, that that infrastructure i missed that a lot because it allowed for maybe a more tailored and like curated interesting feed of music that you would never encounter anywhere else like you were depend you were mm -hmm. depending on people to have the right you know connections to link you to cool stuff that still happens of course and i think it happens a lot on social media just like directly posting from people so it's like right. that's not that different honestly but maybe it just felt good to or it felt maybe like mollifying in some ways to like see your music on like a web page. You were like, Ooh, like I'm yeah. online, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like, like, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't quite have the same feeling when it's like, Oh cool. Somebody posted it on Twitter. Right. Like yeah. it's still cool. Like, but, but yeah. also just as someone that's like trying to 
sort out like, oh, here's a whole world of new music for me to listen to. What am I going to listen to? It was a lot easier just to go to a website that you trusted and read their little write-ups than dig through someone's social media feed to find the like 18% of tweets that are about new amongst like all the other stuff that they're talking about. Um, the other thing I think too that like has very much changed is that like 10 years ago, the more ambient experimental like community was still it was more of this like exciting underground thing that like was imbued with like a, a punkish energy. And I'm not saying that isn't there anymore, but now that we're in this like post social media playlisting era, like ambient music is so much more of a commodity. I feel like your average listener is so much more, um, cognizant of like film music and like ambient music and music that's meant for like just different spaces because of all these playlists that you i mean especially gen z people grew up with that it's like oh this is for reading this is for working out this is for this like um i feel like younger listeners understand the like different situations of listening ship maybe more than people that were more reliant on like i'm gonna buy all of this physical media and listen to it when i'm in front of my stereo not to say that like people that are in front of their stereo aren't listening to music when they're reading or cleaning or cooking or eating but it's very much like space centered versus like the streaming world and i feel like and not to say that there wasn't a bunch of bullshit ambient music back then. Of course, in any era, there's good stuff and bad stuff and everything in between. But I feel like there's so much more just like ambient music that is just like so contentless and like is generated exclusively for these situational listening experiences. Like, I guess what I'm saying is that like something like that I love, like um, I know Ambient 2, Harold Budd and Eno, like that is an album that I listen to when I'm falling asleep or doing all these various things. But at the heart of it are compositions that are really well thought out and beautiful and like um, intentional. There's an intentionality to it. And I feel like there's so much more um ambient and experimental music without intentionality that is just like made for like chill playlist spooky playlist like i don't know it's um it's there's so much more happening and it's happening from the underground to like extremely corporate levels that it's just a much uh i don't even know how to completely stuss out everything i, I said i think i would say it's like diluted or something you know what i mean like or or like i, I think there is this uh, like you mentioning the idea of like a punk energy i, I understand what you're saying 100 percent, and i i don't necessarily glorify that like you know like it's it's just as fine as as another thing that could have happened you know what i mean it's like i think that is cool that ambient music is more widely accepted and i think that that happened because of the acclaim specifically of acts like we're talking about like emeralds and opn and stuff it's like when that 
becomes more, you know, kind of like projected at you as a normal thing to enjoy and listen to that, that Mm -hmm. results in like cultural waves that are still, we're still feeling today, you know? And of course, I'm not saying that started with those acts in the early 2010s. Sure. Like we can go back to like whoever, Tangerine Dream or whatever, you know, like for like, you know, like 50 years ago. But, but I think Doug is right. And that the trajectory is, is, is upward (laughs) towards what maybe I would describe as commodification uh, and and that is inevitable in some ways, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's happening with with noise music too. You know, like you you all mm-hmm. you always see big acts that have the public eye on them start embracing. Oh, we're doing a distorted, like heavy, like noise thing here. Oh, we're we're making our most challenging album yet. And I I love that. I think that's cool when it's like okay, Chelly XCX her album how I'm feeling now has straight up like full on distorted, like heavy noise on it. So it's like, I embrace that, yeah. but at the same time, it is kind of like a, a moment of, of like you freeze and like, think about it. Like, Whoa, like that, that is happening. And what does that make me feel about a previously underground situation? Was that made me feel about the spread of certain aesthetics or textures or production styles? Like that, that's very complicated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I, 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 I have, so I don't like really run a label anymore. I have a vanity label. That's just my own shit. But I think I, I imagine that there, there's just a lot of, lot more stuff to navigate now that like, it's, I mean, I guess there's as much as you want to, it's, it can just be as simple as like my bud made this cool record. We're going to make a tape and a CD and, you know, cool. Like, um, that's the way to do it right there. Like what you yeah. just described is exactly what to and, do to, to not, to not fall into the flood, you know? Like, yeah. Is, I don't even know this. Is your guys stuff on like streaming services? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I never had to navigate any of that stuff, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't think you have to, I guess it's not like you don't even have to worry about it. Sort of. <laughs> gone through various phases of worrying versus not worrying. Work with a distributor who handles the majority of it for us, which we feel very fortunate for. Like I have to submit like metadata and information and files, but they handle all of the administration and collection and you know, um, make it easy for us in a lot of ways. So um, I don't even yeah. want to get into like the politics yeah. whole situation, but I think that for us, just like access is one of the most important things like as like a label that very much came up during um the Bandcamp era giving people free streams of it is super important to us um i i mean especially right now in this moment in this last like year and a half moment it's like i don't even know if a label can like fully trust like being a Bandcamp label anymore like that's that's definitely something that has been um on my mind a lot the last 48 hours and for the last year and a half but again last 48 hours but it's like you know um it's like if you i feel like as a label if you're willing to give away the free streams on Bandcamp, that giving away the micro penny streams everywhere else that other people are using because i mean only a certain percentage of people even can get even use Bandcamp. Like there's so mm-hmm. many more 
Apple, YouTube, Spotify that do come across. I mean, they're probably not coming across Mothcock, but they are coming across like, you know, Earth Eater and Dustin Wong, like just through their algorithmic listening. Um, so having it up there is something that, you know, can result in people becoming fans or going to the show and not even supporting the label. But like, um, it, it does seem like it's like we, of course, Bandcamp at this point is still trustable in my opinion, but like is being treated like a corporation being passed around in the same way that all these other things are. These other things might be larger at this point in time, but, um, yeah, if I could give advice to myself five years ago, it would be to work harder on building good e-commerce on our own website instead of really putting it all into the hands of one company. Word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a, a very real thing the, since yesterday. Uh, I mean, a year and a half yeah. ago, but. Decision we like Katie Day tweeted yesterday like, oh, fuck, I really fucked up putting all of my attention into Twitter and Bandcamp and I just like sat with Johnny Cash's version of Hurt like looping in my head. I think it's going to be okay. I think that these these platforms will persist in some form. And they're, yeah. they're, too, they're too big to fail. And if they do fail, then it's like I guess we're doing an email list, you know? Like that's 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 it. A sub stack or some shit. Uh, who knows? But um, it's it's very weird juggling like how to communicate how to sell market stuff during this era when it's like now there's like five new social media things and which one should i start using and like i don't know it's um a lot of questions um a lot of challenges but music is music and is like the most amazing magical indescribable um thing around and like um the business of music has only been a thing for like uh, about a hundred years or whatever and um music is doing just fine even if this is a little weird right now well now before we get out of here what is what is upcoming in the next i don't know i mean i know there's a couple of things that are been announced that are coming the next month so you might not want to go beyond that, but um, what's yeah. what's happening? <laughs> uh, you know, Doug, actually, how about you take this again? <laughs> yeah, Dr. Oct Doug. Uh, late October, we have two albums coming out from both like very old school house mo artists. We have an album from Quick Sales, which is our one of our best friends, Ben Billington. Um, he... Um, I would say was a big influence for us too, as like young people in the city, as some just like, you know, one college generation older than us and like super involved and super welcoming to us in the community. So he's been like, he's been a best friend really since like 2013, which we were talking about earlier. Um, and his album is great. He's a percussionist originally but has really sunk into being a, a mega synth head over the last couple of decades. Um, so it's very much a combination of like synth and percussion and Patrick Shiroishi um, guests on it on saxophone on a couple of tracks. It's really good, um, kind of like ambient compositional jazz 
zones. And, and then, then we the all- other, I'll do this one, Doug. And then uh, same same day as the Quick Sales album, we have an album coming up by Tim Thornton, aka Tiger Village, who lives in Cleveland and is similarly a, a, a friend that we've had in our sphere, on our label, playing shows with, etc. For actually like ten years, pretty much. Yeah, same same timeline. I think our first Housey Mountain Tiger Village release was 2014, but we had you know been fans of his music and played shows with him before that. And, you know, Tim has a pretty expansive practice with a lot of different projects that are ranging from like more straight ahead techno and, and like beat stuff to totally scrambled noise to conceptual projects. He runs a label called Sweet 309 that we love that also releases a lot of forward thinking, weird music by, you know, all kinds of people and the Tiger Village album that, he, that we're putting out is called The Celebration uh, in October, and it's just another amazing program of his, of his, you know, compositions that are very wonky, very squiggly. It, he fits into our mold perfectly of like, almost like carnival-esque, like not taking itself too seriously, but also very complex and, you know, deep enough to dig into all the details of his beats and synthesis so yeah th- these are these are two old homies and they both grew grew up in cleveland or live there now ben's family still lives in cleveland and he's he's a huge exponent of the cleveland noise scene that that, that we also have worked with a lot of other artists like mothcock or machine listener matt gallagher just a bunch of people in that in that world are are close friends so you know yeah. the, the midwest the midwest noise scene is is very close knit. Awesome. And musicians are very closely affiliated with that VOV now big noise Candy Mountain Festival, um, which Stony Ben used to put together, and now Matt Gallagher, who we were just talking about, um, is a big organizer of. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's even though it's been many years since I've been there, and a few years since Max has been there, that's like very much like a spiritual center like community that house mo has like drawn from time and time again people we've worked with time and time again some of our like closest friends i think would kind of say that that's like maybe the sort of like larger experimental music community that they like belong to affiliate with um after that we're gonna take a little break early in the year i me and my wife are having our first kid at the end of january so I'm going to take a little paternity leave from the label. And um, we have a couple uh, coals in the oven, two albums at least that are like in progress somewhat for after that. But um, we'll, we won't like tease it heavily, but we might say that these two artists more than the other artists we work with are affiliated with a non-United States country. That's, That's true. The- only breadcrumb that I'll leave for you. Okay, so that was it. Thanks to Max and Doug, because that was a whole lot of fun, and I can't wait to do more of those. Uh, go buy all the cool stuff on Hasu Mountain. Um, 
I, the Dustin Wong clip that I played, that album is one of my favorite albums of the year. And there's always just so much good stuff and unexpected stuff. And that's, you know, that's good. So hope everybody's good. I'm going to get out of here. This has been a long episode, but jam packed full of good stuff. And, you know, like I said, every week's going to be different. Holler at me wherever. Twitter, still over there. It's dying, but still there. Blue Sky, Instagram, Mastodon. Join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Digital. Send me a voicemail. Links are in the show notes. And listen to Songs of Our Lives because it's just getting better and better. This week's episode with Eric Mingus. Oh, my God. It's so good. All right, y'all. I'm going to stop talking. But never forget, the sound is for everyone.